Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hello, everybody. You are back with the Good Dog Pod. I am Dr. Michael Delgado. Today, here with Fred Helfers, really exciting podcast ahead. For those of you not in the know, Fred Helfers is a retired police detective who got his start training detection dogs over 40 years ago. He started working with detection dogs in law enforcement after observing them work while he was with the U.S. Border Patrol and later developed a drug detection dog program when he worked in local law enforcement as a narcotics detective. His relationship with working dogs really began even before doing scent work when he was training bird dogs for hunting. But before long, he found himself training police officers and dogs for detection of everything from drugs to natural gas to insects. He organized the Pacific Northwest Police Detection Dog Association, and he served as a founding member on the Scientific Working Group on Dog and Orthogonal Factors, an organization that worked to improve the performance, reliability, and courtroom defensibility of detector dog teams. Around 10 years ago, Fred started becoming involved with nose work and is now a certified canine nose work instructor. He is author of the 2017 books, The Nosework Handler, Foundation to Finesse, and The Nosework Dog, Understanding Olfaction and Odors. His website is a wealth of information on nosework, including all the supplies you need to get started, and his own remote reward system that he developed for nosework training. I could go on and on about all of Fred's amazing accomplishments, but I think we'd all rather hear from the man himself. You can learn more about Fred at fredhelfers.com, but let's just jump into the interview. Fred, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thanks for having me, Michael. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in detection work? What were some of the impressions you had when you first started seeing dogs doing this work? Yeah, it was about in the late 1970s. I was down in San Diego in one of my law enforcement roles, I guess. I was working with the San Diego PD at the southern border and had an opportunity to observe U.S. Customs detection dogs. And uh, I was very impressed with the drive and the focus and the fact they can detect these odors. So from there, of course, I was starting to train some gun dogs, and then I moved up to Washington State and was training my Britneys and Labradors for bird work. But around 1981, I was with the police department up in Washington State, and I wrote a proposal for a drug dog detection program, and I was in the narcotics unit at the time. And they agreed for the proposal, and I started training and working narcotic dogs in 1982. Wow. Okay. And just since you transitioned from hunting dogs to detection dogs, was that a hard transition or are there a lot of similarities between those two things? They're very similar, very similar because, you know, the olfactory talents of the dog, whether they're hunting for a bird or for a trained odor, such as accelerants or natural gas, something like that, or drugs is extremely similar. Very similar. Yeah. And across your years of experience, what characteristics do you observe in dogs who excel at detection work? Well, usually the dogs we use in the professional field, a dog that is well socialized, mm-hmm. has an intense desire to retrieve a toy, hmm. whether that be a ball or a tug toy, or even a food reward, has a strong play drive and hunt drive, very important, and almost a frenetic desire to never quit to go after that. We've all got them at home. I have a six-year-old Labrador outside the door there that just never (laughs) stops, wants to go, go, go. And that's usually a good candidate for detection work. 
Okay. And do you primarily work with particular breeds in the professional detection work or is it all over the place? Well, my background started off with hunting dogs with Britneys and Labrador Retrievers, but primarily in the professional world, I've used primarily Labradors, you know, okay. but dogs such as uh, Malinois, German Shepherds, Golden Retrievers, English Springers, a lot of hunting lines work yep. really well for detection work. So you've trained dogs to detect several different things, drugs, bugs, fire accelerants, looking for gas leaks. Are there some things that dogs just aren't very good at finding or any of these things harder to train them to discriminate than others? Very good question. So if the substance you are trying to detect has an odor, then Mm -hmm. I believe the dog can detect it. That's pretty simple. Odors that would be harder to detect would usually equate to substances that may have been or may have an environmental concern or influence or an operational concern that make it difficult to detect. From an operational standpoint, odors such as biomedical hazards, such as bacteria or C. diff, mm-hmm. COVID-19, mm-hmm. usually comes down to the fact that the dog can detect the odors for which we know are present, but they may be finding something else that we don't know is present also. Okay. And so that's where the training comes into it. And we have to have certain controls in the training. Right, right. Okay. And can dogs learn to detect more than one odor? Or are they really specialists where you train a dog to detect this one drug and that's all they are doing? Well, first and foremost, I'm not a scientist. I'm a <laughs> practitioner. And science has been extremely good for us dog trainers, especially mm-hmm. in the last 20 years or so. They've really laid a solid foundation and they've built up this foundation for olfactory detection of certain substances. So if a dog is trained to detect a specific odor, then science has shown that they sometimes can readily identify another odor in that process that may be closely related to the original odor. Okay. For example, this is in the drug dog world, a dog that was initially trained on methamphetamine Mm-hmm. can detect the odors emanating from the drug ecstasy, which is MDMA. Okay. However, if the dog was only trained on ecstasy, the dog may have problems and usually does have problems identifying methamphetamine. And it all boils down to the different chemical analogs. That's what the science has told us. Okay. So yeah. something's present in methamphetamine that is also present in MDMA. But the reverse may... But the reverse, it's not. Okay. And the dogs are very clear about that. They're quite intelligent yeah. and they have this process, this olfactory talent that is just phenomenal. But another example, an easy example, is when I was training accelerant dogs, a dog that is trained to detect diesel fuel number two, the type of diesel you put in your trucks and cars and that, which is a low range distillate, can easily cross over and identify kerosene, which is a high range distillate. So they have no problems identifying both. So to answer your question, yes. I have a question though, like why would a dog be looking for diesel? Okay, so diesel is a fuel and it also can be used as an accelerant to accelerate a Uh, fire in a arson scenario. Gotcha. Okay. So in some cases, not only is the dog looking for broad things, but also the investigators might be looking for multiple things. So it's better if the dog can kind of generalize accelerant versus being able to only detect diesel and not kerosene. Exactly. And from an environmental concern, I have a really good close associate that has trained dogs to identify 
leaks from diesel storage tanks on the ground mm-hmm. that have been buried sure. for many years. And she goes ahead and has trained the dogs to identify the source of the leaks so they can find the tanks and they know this tank is leaking. So from an environmental perspective, it's really been helpful. Okay, because, yeah, those leaks could be like contaminating water sources. Or, yes, exactly. Yeah, all kinds of bad stuff. Like what's going on in Hawaii. You know. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> dogs are amazing. They can do so many things. It's incredible. So I think a lot of us have interacted with a detection dog at some point, right? Like you're in an airport or a subway, the handler comes on with a dog, you know, the dog's working. Certainly, I think it instills a little bit of panic, like, is there going to be a false positive or, you know, but can you talk a little bit about, so what are the dogs doing? Are they passively kind of absorbing smells? Are they actively searching? Is it only when they're like sniffing that they're detecting something? And how do they let you know, I found it? I found what you're looking for. Right. So the dog sense of smell olfactory system is many thousands of times more powerful than us. Actually, hundreds of thousands. That's just phenomenal. So when they are just running around the room or outside or walking through an airport or whatever, they are actually ingesting or inhaling all types of molecules. And so what happens is that as they inhale these molecules through their nasal system, the olfactory system, the dog is processing these molecules. And if the dog is trained to identify an odor, which we call a target odor, the dog would equate that training of that target odor with a certain behavior. So during the training of the dog, the handler is taught to recognize different changes of behavior the dog will exhibit. And we see that with bird dogs. We see that with our own dogs in the backyard, you know. They investigate an interesting smell or odor on the grass or something like that. The person's trying to pull them away on the leash. Yes, you're taking your dog for a walk and a rabbit just had run across the road, which happens a lot where I live. The dog's going to just follow that trail. Well, what's happening is the dog will exhibit a change of behavior that the handler is taught to recognize. And that could be the mouth closed, intensive sniffing, a focus on one area. A physical change of behavior, such as a head snap, the tail may mm. flag a little bit, okay. a really heightened intensity. Those types of behavior changes are inherent as the dog is detecting a target odor, if you will. Okay. Then that's usually followed by a trained response that the dog has been trained to do, such as a sit or a down or a nose work could just simply be a look back at the handler and say, hey, I found this odor. (laughs) The dog equivalent of pointing. Right. So basically you go from a change of behavior in the local to a more specific response or specific alert, such as a sit or down, look back, that type of thing. It's so amazing to think about their sense of smell. Like we can't comprehend what they can smell, right? I feel like our sense of smell is so terrible. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the dog's they're 24-7, they're always smelling something. Yeah. And the amount of molecules they can process in a short period of time, you're talking milliseconds, is just amazing. You know, And science has only scratched the surface. Sure. I firmly believe that. And a lot of scientists, people more educated than I am, will tell you that, you know, that we're just beginning to understand what the olfactory system is about. Well, it's great you can contribute to that. We are here with Fred Helfers, and you are listening to The Good Dog Pod. We will be right back. Did you know breeders on Good Dog get $100 every year to spend on health testing and access to exclusive discounts from our partners, including Embark, Paw Print Genetics, and AKC Reunite? Click the link in the show notes to learn more about how you can access these special discounts and benefits today. 
We are back with Fred Helfers, canine olfaction specialist, expert. I'm really glad to be chatting with you today. And one thing that I found pretty fascinating is just the use of detection dogs in court cases. So what kind of evidence can detection dogs provide? They obviously can't testify in front of a judge, but can you tell us a little bit about how this evidence is used and how it's considered? Is it considered valid? Sure. So it's based on a couple of premises. First of all, the courts recognize dogs can't speak, so you know they're not going to be testifying. <laughs> but their actions can. Right. And that's important. So the evidence the dogs find can be admitted in the court based on the dog's reliability and credibility. Okay. That means it's track record, so to speak. And some criteria is there that can be shown to establish the dog's reliability, the courts are recognized, is the certification of the dog team, the dog mm-hmm. and the handler, and maintenance training records, the weekly training of the dog, the operational assessments of the dog, whether it's be double blind testing or single blind testing, and a lot of departments. And that's where science has helped us immensely. Yeah, <laughs> sounds very scientific. Yes, into the field of testimony. So a lot of dog teams will perform those functions as part of their weekly maintenance training or monthly maintenance training. And a lot of professional agencies that work drug detection or explosive detection go through a series of operational and training assessments throughout the period of the dog. And accurate record keeping, you know, Okay. if you're a drug dog handler, you have to keep records. And my premise is if you train dogs, you better keep records. <laughs> okay. That's a good thing. I would not have considered like, how would you prove the reliability of the dog? But that makes sense. Now, have you been in the seat, the hot seat talking about your dog? Like, do you talk about your dog or is it just like, yep, the dog detected this and here's the proof that the dog is good at this? Yeah. Many times. Many okay. Times. Yes. Both in state and federal court. Okay. Know. Sounds very and interesting. If I may, there was an interesting case. Please. This was I've been around a long time. So it was way back in the late 80s or early 90s. But I just trained an accelerant detection dog for the Washington State Fire Marshal's office. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened we were training that morning when the fire marshal had a call for a fire at a residential place down the road several miles. And so we responded. And I went along with my little video camera, and that was the handler's actually first application. So he was very nervous. The dog, her name was Maggie. She was just as good as ever. Little chocolate lab, cute little dog. So what happens, we arrived at the scene, and we found out, we didn't know it, that it was a triple fatality in which two little kids and a gentleman had passed away. And so we decided to work the dog, and I was videotaping a lot of it. And the dog found evidence that it was an arson and the husband and the children were deliberately murdered. Wow. Okay. So it was the dog's testimony, or I should say my testimony in court, because the judge wouldn't allow the videotape. It was too judicial. So I had to testify for five hours and basically educate the jury and the defense attorney about how dogs are trained and how they react. And the person that committed the crime was found guilty and serving life in prison. Wow. But the dogs are so phenomenal. And they, if trained properly, if the handlers trained properly, they can offer us so much. That's amazing. I mean, that's what a story. And I mean, it's really sad, right? But it's very interesting. So they don't allow the video testimony, but you do typically go to a scene with a dog. Is the dog typically video recorded? Or was that just kind of chance? Depends on departmental policy and all that. Okay. You know, in today's world, there most probably will be a body-worn camera 
Oh, right. But back 20 years ago, there was not. You know, okay. Was. Okay. So speaking of the past, around 10 years ago, you kind of shifted your focus. And I don't know if that was because of a career move or what, but you shifted kind of from detection dog work to more recreation when you discovered nose work. And I don't know if that was kind of an intentional, like you discovered nose work and decided it was time to try something different, or if it was just kind of a natural progression of your interest. But first of all, for those who may not be familiar with nose work, can you give a brief explanation? Of nose work? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Sure. Sure. So nose works an easy to learn activity or sport, if you will. It really builds focus and confidence in many dogs, you know, dogs that are kept at home and not exercised or they become destructive or erupt when people come by. They give them focus. You know, it's very healthy for them. It provides a safe way to keep the dogs fit and healthy through mental and physical exercise. It's easily conducted at home. You don't need really big premises, although you can go into competition for that. Right. And in a sense, a lot of older dogs have benefited in many ways because just the physical activity is helping keeping the dogs alive. But most important, I think it's the mental activity too. The dog is challenging themselves to use their olfactory senses to find a treat, a food reward, and it's very beneficial. The other plus side is as people get older, retired, it gets them off the couch, gets them out doing things mm. with their dog, which is really important. So there's a health benefit. There's a engaging with their dogs. There's a mental benefit for the human handler, if you will. Yeah. Okay. So both physically and mentally, it's really an outstanding sport. So you asked a question about how did I get involved? In this yes. 10 years ago. So I had been recently retired from the police department, but still involved heavily with professional dog training and drug detection, et cetera. But a very good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Ron Gaunt, he was one of the co-founders of Canine Nosework, along with Jill Marie O'Brien and Amy Hero, all from Southern California. Well, Ron and I had gone through our basic dog school back in 1982. Okay. So we spent many weeks together. We we're very good friends. And so he knew I was retired and thought I wasn't doing much. <laughs> Fred needs something to do. <laughs> yes, needed something to do, I guess. You know. So the first time he kind of drugged me down the freeway to go watch a session with Amy and her students. And I was blown away. I was blown away because here were civilians working their golden retrievers or Weimaranas or little terriers and emulating what we do in the professional world. And the dogs were just kicking butt. They were just so good. The handlers are okay too. But (laughs) as humans, it takes us a while to learn. Not so much the dogs. The dogs were really, really good. And it's been fun because I've been able to follow some of those dogs through their nose work career if you will, through judging and stuff like that. So that's how I got involved with it. Okay, yeah. And the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, and I know you sell some of the equipment on your website. So it's really like hiding different odors in different locations. And then the dog has to find that specific odor. And then when they do, they get a treat. Is that kind of how you would describe it? Okay, pretty close. So generally speaking, nose work or scent work, as it's sometimes called, Mm -hmm. and it has gone, it's internationally. So Uh, I've gone to Denmark and Sweden and Italy and Australia and Canada. And there's all sorts of nose work or scent work organizations. And most of them follow the same guidelines. 
They search for an essential oil, such as birch or cloves or anise. And usually the dog is given a food reward, a treat, if they find the source of the odor. On some occasions, they're given a ball or a tug toy if they're really into that. But they emulate what we do in the professional world, which is they search vehicle exteriors. They do interior rooms. They do exterior yards or parking lots or whatever. And they do different containers, boxes, some cases, suitcases, or anything that could be defined as a container, if you will. So the goal is to go ahead and find a odor for which they've been imprinted with. They've learned that, hey, if I find this odor, I get a treat. Yes. And so it's from there that the dog training starts to take off and they learn to search different environments, that type of thing. And it's a lot of fun. I was just going to say, it sounds fun. <laughs> it's not expensive to get into and it keeps the dog busy. And as equally important, it keeps the human, the handler, really busy too. That's great. And I know you said you've done this with shelter dogs and that you've seen some benefits, like some of the shy dogs have come out of their shell doing this kind of work. So it does sound like, would you say any dog can do nose work as opposed to maybe they're not cut out for the detection dog world, but nose work is for everybody? Yes, definitely. I would say, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to volunteer at a local shelter and do a class on nose work. And these are dogs that it's a no-kill shelter. And these are dogs that basically haven't been adopted. Yeah. But what I've been able to do is just through playing a nose work game, like, hey, here's some open boxes. And that's what they start with. It's very mm-hmm. cheap. It's open boxes. You know, everybody gets boxes from Amazon and all that stuff yeah. nowadays. So having the boxes there and just throwing treats out. And the dog soon learns, hey, if I inspect these boxes, I'm going to find a treat. And it engages that dog to where maybe they haven't had that mental engagement just sitting in a kennel. And from there, the different exercises the handler or the trainer can introduce that dog, it really helps that dog and it gives them a focus. And I believe it helps them get it adopted later on because it it provides for a well-rounded, both physical and mental stimulation that will help you know, calm a dog. So not only is it good for those dogs, but also our own dogs. It's really great. Great sport. That's wonderful. So you've been fascinated with the canine nose for 40 years now. So what keeps you interested in this field? Wow. That is an interesting question. When I started, uh, I guess, bird dog hunting, I was young and pretty stupid at that time. But I realized the dog's ability to find a bird hiding in a bush was just phenomenal. I had no comprehension at all about how that worked, but I realized this dog was far smarter at finding this than I would ever be. And through the years and being able to train dogs for insect detection and natural gas detection and drugs and accelerants, the more I become involved with that, the more I realized I don't know much about these dogs. And so it just challenged me to learn more and to train harder and to observe better. It's both a physically and mentally stimulating sport, if you will, or occupation, both for the dog and the handler. Mm -hmm. So I believe that what keeps me going is that we just don't know what the capabilities, the full capabilities of the dog's olfactory talents are. And like I said earlier, we just scratched the surface. So I think that keeps me going. And I've been very fortunate over the past few years, I was able to help out with a C. diff or it's a, a bacteria found mm-hmm. in hospitals and that program. And I recently did a study with a dog being able to detect different forms of bacteria with spoiled product in the canning industry. Oh, wow. Those type of 
testing or field studies. I think that's what keeps me going, keeps me involved. Yeah, like you said, the science is still so in infancy that we don't even know the bounds of their abilities, it seems like. so. You're exactly right. And I have many friends, both in the conservation field, like Steve Austin mm-hmm. down in Australia, a very close friend of mine, and Kyoko Johnson in Hawaii with the Hawaii Conservation Dogs. I can give a shout out to those people. Please do. And throughout, whether it be for tracking and search and rescue or cadaver work, they're using these dogs um, our dogs, our personal companions, to the best of our abilities. I don't mm-hmm. think we're using the dogs to the best of their abilities because we don't know that yet. Right. And it's the same with another shout out. There are people like Dr. Paula Tiedemann down in Texas Tech, Dr. Ken Furton at Florida International University, and Cindy Otto up at the University of Pennsylvania, Penn Vet. They are doing phenomenal work with canine olfaction. And That's great. Uh, really helps us as an instructor, as a trainer. Yeah. Hopefully we can have some of those folks on the podcast. Well, you mentioned our dogs. Can you tell us a little bit about your pets? Do you have dogs and do they do nose work? Okay. So I've had Labradors and Britneys for at least 40 years. We're down to one Labrador, a six-year-old Libby and Yellow Lab. I don't do nose work with her in a sense like competition or anything like that. She is trained to detect essential oil of, of birch. And I use Libby, if you will, to conduct kind of scenting research and proof of concept ideas, that type of thing, like I did with the spoiled product dugs. I use Libby uh, over a 30-day period to do a proof of concept to see how that is doing. You know, is this feasible? Okay. And so, yeah, so... I use her for my as my testing dog, mm-hmm. and she has a lot of fun. She gets a lot of food treats, that type of thing. But I don't compete in nose work. It is a phenomenal uh-huh. sport, though. Great. Well, Fred, I really appreciate your time. Your work is amazing. It's just such an amazing testament to how fascinating dogs are that you've dedicated so much of your life to this work. So thank you so much for being here with us on the Good Dog Pod. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Where can people find you online? So basically on my website at fredhelfers.com. Perfect. I have a Facebook page also, like everybody in the world, I think. And <laughs> or contact me through helferscanine at gmail.com. So those are the three areas. The web page that I have is mostly dedicated to civilian sports of scent work and nose work, that type of thing. I'm still involved heavily with professional dog trainers and instructors and those programs. But those are the three areas there, my, my webpage, my email, that type of thing. You know. Okay, great. Everybody check out Fred's website. Thanks for being here today. And that wraps up another episode of the Good Dog Pod. We hope you'll join us next week. We've got a very special guest, Dr. Marty Becker, America's veterinarian. He's going to talk to us about his recent trip to Romania and the Ukrainian border to help pets and their owners. 